0: I am excited to share this message with you. Um, again, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer this morning and hope that, that God would not only give me the words, but the ability to share it in such a way that pleases Him and in such a way that we all, all are edified and strengthened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day once again. Lord, I am so thankful For the health to be here the freedom to be here the privilege to be here and most of all lord i am thankful for your presence with us here this morning dear lord i just ask lord that you would remember this this message lord help me lord to have the words to say give me lord the the ability lord to present it in such a way lord that lord jesus i want your will to be done this morning Lord, if there's hearts here that need conviction, Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that you, Lord, will convict our hearts. And, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, if there are hearts here this morning that need comforting, encouraging, that, Lord, at the end of this message, Lord, that they are leaving here, Lord, encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. I just pray, Father, Lord, that you would minister to us and through us, And again, thank you so much for this day. I am so, so so thankful for this opportunity. I trust in you, dear Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to be starting this morning in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And again, I I gave Megan a a bunch of scriptures. I don't know how many of them I'll use, but I I do appreciate them being up here for us. If you're familiar with this, this is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm not going to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning, but there are some uh, aspects of it. There are some interesting uh, points that I want to highlight because they help to illustrate the, uh, the main body of this morning's message. So I'm going to begin reading there in verse 25, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer, a Pharisee, stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is a great question, isn't it? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know, of all the questions that have ever been asked or could ever be asked, I would dare say that that is the greatest question of them all. God, what must I do to, to, to obtain eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And you know, of all the people that you could ask that question to, certainly Jesus is the right person to be asking that question to. However, this morning isn't, uh, however, our concern this morning isn't the question itself. The concern this morning is it's the spirit and the motivation behind why he's asking it. Because it says there, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. The intent here was not one of true discovery. The intent of this question wasn't one of trying to gain understanding. This question was was issued forth as, as a result of trying to trick or to stumble Jesus into making a, a, some sort of claim contrary to the word of God. So that they could then say that he was blaspheming. They could use that as a way to dismiss his teaching. Uh, or possibly persecute him or maybe even kill him at a later date. But Jesus turned it around on them and he says there in verse 26. He said unto him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other words, you're asking me a question. Well, you know, the law better, you know the law better than most. Why don't you tell me what does the law say about how you are to get eternal life? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said it to him, he answered, he said, You have rightly answered. Do this and you will live. Note that. Jesus says in response to him saying, though, the law says, if you can live and love the Lord with all of your heart, if you can love the Lord with all of your soul, if you can love the Lord with all of your strength, if you can love the Lord with all of your mind and love your neighbors as yourself, then, according to the law, you will inherit eternal life. And Jesus' response is, you have rightly said, do this and you will live. Now, this might cause some of you uh, theological alarm bells to go off, uh, but bear with me. So, in other words here, Jesus here is confirming if, big if, This man, if any man, were able to keep the law perfectly and love God, love himself, and love others as he should, then they would also inherit eternal life. But the problem here isn't the law. The problem is is our inability to keep the law. First of all, we have already broken it. But if we can ignore that just for a moment and look at what the law is actually requiring for us to love God to love God with all of our hearts with all of our souls with all of our mind and then to love others as we love ourselves and I'm here to tell you this morning that that is completely impossible without first having a personal experience and knowledge of God's love in you. This is highlighted and explained to us over in 1 John chapter 4 verses 19 to 21. I think I gave that to her. Yeah, I, I did give it to her. Okay. It says there very clearly in verse 19. We love him. We, we Love him. Him who? God. Because he, he who? Jesus, Lord, first loved us. In other words, we can't love him until we know he loves us. Correct? And he goes on to say there, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, I told myself I wasn't going to chase any squirrels this morning. And it was odd. I don't know what it was, but me and Patty on the way in today, day, I probably saw 20 squirrels on the road. <laughs> I don't know what, I mean, they were all over. Some of them coming in the car, this, everywhere, they're everywhere this morning. Squirrels everywhere. And I told myself I wasn't going to chase a squirrel this morning, but this is a good one to chase real quick. Look at what it says there. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. So what I, want to, what I want to point out here this morning is simply this. Not everybody that says, I love God, is telling you the truth. There are a lot of counterfeit believers out there who claim they love God, who claim they love you, when in fact, they are liars. They're liars. And what the word teaches us here is simply this, though, that you know how you distinguish between a liar and a truther? Someone who's going to someone who is a counterfeit versus someone who is a true, compassionate Christian. Well, it's based on how they love and treat others. Because he goes on to say there, for he does not love his brother. Whom he has seen, for if he does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him. This is a commandment we have from God. That he who loves God must love his brother also. Well, this is a question, this is a problem here that this young uh, Pharisee was dealing with. He was asking, well, then in verse 29, well, who's my neighbor? He might as well have been saying, well, then who's my brother? Okay, well, who's my brother? Who am I supposed to love? Yeah. Well, Jesus answers there in verse 30, and he proceeds to talk about and give us this parable uh, of the, uh, of the um, uh, Good Samaritan. And I'll go ahead and read it. We're familiar with it. I'll read it. I won't expound on it too much. Uh, but it says there, then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And by the way, this was a well-known road, but it was also well-known because this was a, a, a road that was very dangerous. Uh, it was well-traveled, but it was also uh, a, pl- it, it was a dangerous road. You know, today we have, you know, you, you don't go in that neighborhood, you don't go down that road. Uh, well, this is one of those areas that if you traveled on, you were, you were at risk. Uh, And it says this, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, uh, I'll say this, why did the priest and the Levite pass by on the other side? Well, it was law uh, that... If you was to come in contact with somebody that was unclean, and if possibly he was dead, uh, and he was bleeding, and he was hurt by touching him, he would have been. The priest or the Levite would also then, at that point, been unclean. Uh, and if they were heading to Jerusalem to do their duties as a Levite or a priest, uh, this would have prevented them from doing that job. Uh, so uh, they. For whatever reason, they have. Again, we don't know the specifics, but that is one possible reason. Uh, They departed on the other side. But it says there in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day... When he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, then come again, and I will repay you. Notice here that the compassion that he shared, it cost that Samaritan something. One, it cost him his time. He wasn't journeying this dangerous road just because He was sightseeing. He had a mission. He had a purpose for being on that road at that time. And his compassion not only cost him time, his compassion cost him his oil and his wine. It also cost him uh, his money, his denarii. And not just two, but it also, in the future, whatever more, I'll pay. So there was that that future debt that was going to be involved. And some of us, we, we fail to show the proper amount of compassion because we're afraid that it might cost us something. My time is important to me. I have something I need to be doing. I, I, somebody else can take care of that. Oh, I I don't have this much to give. I I can't do that. So it's going to cost me too much. And I don't want to sign up to help this person because, you know what, it's not just me. If it was just today, sure, I would help them out. But you know what, if I start helping them, I'm going to have to keep helping them and keep helping them. And before you know it, they're just going to see me. I'm just going to be the one that always has to help them. And that's, this Samaritan was signing up. To give of himself, not just that day, but in the future as well as the need pr- provided itself. So uh, Jesus says, uh, So which of these was the neighbor or the brother who fell among, to the one who fell among these thieves? And, Jesus, and he said, Well, obviously the one who showed him mercy. Okay. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now, yeah, man, I'd love to just take this scripture and pull it apart and dissect it. But I'm, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I would like for us to change our perspective within this, this story that Jesus gives. I'd like for us to change the narrative of this parable slightly. And it's, it's just to help us illustrate this morning's message. Now, we don't know how these conversations with have went. We don't even know if the conversations ever happened. But just imagine, just for a moment, that somewhere once they got to Jerusalem, this priest and this Levite met up. Now, just imagine now that that Levite turns to the priest and says, Hey, man, did you see that guy on the side of the road that was naked, beaten, robbed? And left for dead? The priest would say, well, yeah, I did. That was something, wasn't it? The Levite would say, well, did you do anything? The priest would go, no, I didn't do anything. I had to focus on my responsibilities. I had a job I needed to do. I needed to get here to, to perform my priestly duties. So, no, I, I didn't do anything. What, what did you do? The Levite would say, well, you know, First, I want to say, man, can you imagine just how bad things have gotten out there? Yeah, that's pretty bad. But, Levi, what did you do? Oh, I, I did just like you. Absolutely nothing. So now, just now imagine that the Samaritan has completed his journey. And he's made it back home. And let's imagine just for a moment now that he has a family that's waiting for him. And his kids come up, his wife comes up, and they say, Well, Daddy, what took you so long? You're late. Tell us about your trip. And the Good Samaritan goes on to tell his kids and tell his wife about what all has happened. Pretty much the same perspective that we have given to us from Jesus. And he goes on to say, You know, God told us, And he has instructed us to love others as we love ourselves, kids. And thus, by doing so, we are displaying God's love for others. So I hope I've given you a godly example for you to follow because that man could have just as easily been me. And one day, it might be you. And I would hope and I would pray That if we should ever find ourselves in that same situation, that someone would love God enough to love us, to help us in our situation. We don't know if that conversation happened. We don't know. We're just imagining now. So just imagine one more thing, and this is the best part. Now consider the perspective of that man who had been beaten, left for naked dead on the side of the road. He could say, I was ignored by all those religious folks, but I was shown love by a man who had compassion on me. And he helped me when he didn't have to. Perhaps now this beaten man in our story, this parable, for the first time in his life knows firsthand what true, godly love looks like and feels like. And I dare say this morning, if that man, if that was true for that man, that his life would never be the same. And as a matter of fact, that is exactly what I can say this morning. Because I too was shown the love of God in my life has never been the same and my new life has begun <clears throat> all because somebody showed love and compassion and i was faced with the reality that god loves me even when he didn't have to first samuel chapter 30 We're doing a deep dive here in the Old Testament when we get here. So I'm going to do a quick, very quick, and I mean quick for me, bullet point explanation for context how we get to this point. Okay? First, David is anointed as king because King Saul failed to follow and honor God. Saul knows that the Lord has taken his kingdom from him and wants to kill David. Now, after a bunch of spears later... David finally accepts the fact that his life is in danger and he flees. David, instead of trusting God for protection, eventually ends up seeking safety with the Philistines. Yes, those Philistines. And at one point, he even found himself in Goliath's hometown. Can you imagine that conversation? David lies and tricks them into believing that he, in fact, is a traitor and now is an enemy to Israel. Now, this all comes to a head much later on when the Philistines actually go to war with King Saul and Israel. This puts David in a, in a, in a bind, I mean really a rock in a hard place, because now he is expected to take up arms against God's people, against Israel. But God intercedes. Don't you love it how God just steps in? When we get ourselves in a mess, God just says, well, I'll get, I'll get you out of it. No, David got himself into this mess because he didn't trust God in the beginning. He put his trust in the world. He, trust, he put his faith and his trust in his own ability to get him out of these situations. And as a result now, he is in a pickle in a jam, but God says, I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going to protect David and and, and make sure that he doesn't take up arms against my people, against Israel. And he does this by causing the Philistines to lose trust in David. He causes the Philistine generals to say, wait a minute. This is the same David that's killed not just his thousands, but tens of thousands. This is the same David. Do you remember the whole Goliath thing? That's this guy. How do we know that when we, and, and look, what do traitors do? Traitors trait. When he gets out there in the war and he says things are going on, all this way and that, how do we know that he's not going to turn on us too? And he actually is forced, David now is forced to take a, a long, slow march back home. Because he is uh, not trusted to be in this battle. I thought, David's probably like, thank you, Lord. I don't know what I was going to do in that situation. Thank you for getting me out of it. So in summary, David has let his guard down. He's let himself get into this mess. And uh, now he is marching home. But as a result of him letting his guard down, him not being where he needs to be, doing what he needs to do. Guess what now has happened? The enemy has come in and has taken his home, his family. And again, I'm going to remind you, if you don't keep your guard up, if you don't do what God has called you to do, you know what can happen? The enemy's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy, and he will sneak in and he will take everything you got if you let him. So now here we find, and oh man, this is really good scripture. And I, again, I have taught this. It's been preached. Uh, I, I'm going to go through it a little bit, really quick, uh, to get us down to the, the, to the part. The, what I really want to focus on is there in verse 11. Uh, but just to set the, the, the parameters and get your mind in the right way, uh, I'm going to start reading there in verse 1. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. Ziklag was their hometown. Their hometown was in Philistine territory. Okay, And on the third day, that the Amalekites, who had, had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Next verse. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there, there it was burnt with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters have been taken captive. Imagine that for a moment. You go to work, you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you come home, and in the distance, you look ahead, and there's smoke in the horizon. You think, man, something's on fire. And then as you get closer and closer, you say, wait a minute, that, that, that's on my road. And then you get closer and closer, wait, that's my house. Where are my kids? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where's my wife? And they're gone. What would your action be? Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. I should say so. But it wasn't just a boo-hoo. They wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been so broken, so crying, that you just at that point there were no more tears left to cry? That's where they were. And David had two wives. We're reminded here that David, David is not just weeping. David had a personal loss in this. He lost both of his wives to this. Uh, they had been taken captive. Verse 6. Now, David was greatly distressed. Again, wouldn't we all? But to compound it, he's not only distressed because of his loss, he's distressed now because the speakle, the people speakle. <laughs> The people spoke of stoning him. Why? Because he's in charge. Why? Because he's the one that got him in this mess. They were going to stone him because the soul soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters, they were out of their mind in grief. But here's David. He realizes, you know what, trusting in me has got us here. I think it's time, way past time, that I repent and I turn to the one who can truly help. And he strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. Strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. Verse 7. Then David said to Abathor the priest, Please bring me the e-pod here to me. You no, know it was this. This was a, uh, an ancient method that, again, this was, this was God prescribed. This was God's way of communicating to the people at this time. Uh, this was God's way of, of, of answering these questions. This was, uh, this was not just a trick. This wasn't just look. This wasn't just a magic eight ball. This was God's divine way. To communicate with those who were seeking answers from him in prayer. So David says, It's time I go to church. I need to get with the preacher. We need to start praying because I need answers as to what I need to do. So he goes to the Lord in prayer. Verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, So I pursue this troop. Shall I overtake them? Lord, should I just sit here and whine, or should I do something about this? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. I don't know what Satan has stolen from you today, but I can guarantee you, if you follow the Lord's leadership, all can be recovered Verse 9, so David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook of Bresser, where those stayed who were left behind. Some of them were too weak and too uh, too, uh, old or feeble or just exhausted. They couldn't all 600 go, so they split up there. 200 were left behind, uh, but the other 400 went. And verse 10, but David pursued he and the 400 men, and the 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross to the brook of Bresser. But then here we get... To verse 11, and this, not that it ain't been good already, but this is where it really gets good. Then they found an Egyptian in the field. And they brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water, verse 12. And they gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. In verse 12, it says there, So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then verse 13, David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? Now, I want to pause there just for a moment. Here is David and these 400 men... Emotionally just distraught. And they're not sure exactly where they're going other than they're going in this direction. They probably had a general idea where the Amalekites were coming from. but They didn't know exactly where they were going to be. But man, they had a mission. They had a concern. And I dare say that every one of us sometimes gets so overwhelmed and burdened by what's going on in your own personal life, it is easy for you to ignore the needs around you. But David, without knowing who this Egyptian is, David's men, without having any idea that this Egyptian may actually be one that would lead them to his own people, David's men stopped, showed compassionate love and mercy to a man who had gotten sick and who had been left for dead on the side of the road. So David asked, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And the man answers, I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We had made an invasion of the southern area and in a territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglog with fire. The same one, one of the very ones that probably set a tent or a house on fire, who was instrumental in capturing women and children. This is the exact same one now they have patched up and healed up. You know, God calls you to love and to be compassionate, not just to those who are good to you but to your enemy and those who are bad to you as well. Now, David didn't know this at this point when he first gave him love and compassion, but now he does. So David said to him, Can you take me down to where this troop is at? And so he said, Swear by me to God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Spoiler alert. They go. He leads them right straight to their camp. There's a great battle that ensues. And David and his men are able to recover just as God said all. Therefore, what happens as a result of David showing this mercy and this act of love is this of to this Egyptian man that was left for dead. Again. In fact, you might argue that this kindness being shown by David directly led to salvation. Salvation that had been to those who had been captured, but also salvation to this Egyptian. Now, let's do this again. We're going to flip the perspective a little bit, we're going to change the narrative, this time to that of this Egyptian. Now, allow me here to interject. What happened to this young man is exactly what will happen to you and what happens to the devil and what the devil does to all his slaves. See, Satan will use you in his motives to steal, kill, and destroy. He will use you up until there is nothing left of you to use. And then when he is done with you, he will cast you aside and leave you for dead. You will be now at the mercy of the vultures and all the other scavengers. This is where the Egyptians' testimony would have ended. If it wasn't for the compassion and love of David. But now he can say and praise the Lord and be thankful for a new life he's been given. No longer a slave is he. Because he knows of the love of God shown to him through the compassion and love of David. Acts chapter 16. These are my final scriptures of the day, so. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. We know this story as well. Paul and Silas are in prison. And when they had laid many stripes on them, on who? On Paul and Silas. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, and this was a serious charge. If he had failed at this charge, it would have been his life. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. You know the story. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. Then the keeper of the prison awakened from his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, you know, we started this message with this question. It's a good place to end this message. He asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So, they, so he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour that night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. You know, for many who read this, they think, well, this is a story about how Paul and Silas got out of jail. But I'm here to tell you, this is more than that. This is a story about how a jailer came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Because Paul and Silas showed love and compassion when they didn't have to. The sounds of prayer and hymns of praise would have undoubtedly pounded upon this, young, this man's this jailish heart and would have cut deep into his conscience. The earthquake and the doors now wide open, he would have been convinced that now his life will forfeit. But an act of kindness and compassion displayed God's love from out of the darkness and stops his hand. And again, another... Not just him, but his whole household is saved. Why? Because Paul and Silas looked beyond their need and were driven by God's love. And I remind you, 1 John four nineteen says, we love God because he first loved us. My friends, my challenge to you this morning is this. To look past your current circumstances. Look past your current need. I'm not saying that that need isn't severe. And I'm not saying that need is, 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 needs to be ignored. But here's what I want to remind you of. Whether you're just going about your day like the Samaritan. Or whether you're in the thick of things because you are messed up and got out of the will of God or whether you're like Paul and Silas who are right where God wants them to be because they were doing what God called them to be, regardless of why you're in the storm. My challenge is for you to flip the perspective off of you and change the narrative for someone else. I challenge you at this time to introduce someone else Who had been left for dead on the side of the road. Abused and abandoned by Satan. Introduced them to the love of God.